Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thank you for gathering this morning. If you're here in person, thank you for bringing the church into a YMCA. And for those of you that are gathering online, thank you for bringing the church in whatever space you happen to be in. Uh, thanks for inviting us into your living room around your dining room table. Uh, we're really grateful that you're here. And if, if you're new, somebody that's new to Crosspoint, my name is Jamie. It's my absolute joy and privilege to be one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. It's my great joy to get to continue us in this series called Songs for the Journey. And it's this journey through this particular section of scripture that's called the Psalms of Ascent. And basically to kind of catch you up to speed if you're new to this or as a reminder for, for many of us, it's this collection of songs that the Jewish people, when they were away from Jerusalem, several times a year, God called them to come and to gather in Jerusalem, or it's called Zion, and to gather there at the temple and for, for worship and for celebration and to remember what God has done historically, the things that have happened, the way that he's rescued and redeemed his people. And so there'd be this invitation and along the way, just think of this, this is their playlist, right? So this is their Spotify playlist or Apple Music or however it is that, that you roll. I mean, this is what they would have been singing out loud together and they would, in this journey, they'd be crying out to God, asking for help along the way because it was a hard journey, but also remembering God's faithfulness. And so that's where we are in this series. And this morning we are in Psalm 126. And so I would invite you, to go to cpwp.life and swipe over uh, to a card that says message notes, and there you'll find the text. If you brought a Bible uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and read this in its entirety and then work through this particular psalm, which I probably shouldn't say I'm like, oh, this is one of my favorites. I mean, it's all God's word and it's all amazing, uh, but I do particularly love this psalm and be able to explain that a bit more here in just a moment. But let me go ahead and read this. As I read, wherever you are, would you go ahead and stand with me if you're able? Let me read Psalm 126, a song of ascents. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so I want to invite you to pray this with me. I'll put this up on the, the screen uh, and read aloud wherever you're at, so online or here in, in person. It's this prayer for illumination. We need to hear from God this morning through his word, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate our minds, our hearts, our thinking. You don't need my thoughts or my opinions. We need to hear from God. And so let's pray this together. Join me in praying. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone. Let the heavenly food of the scripture we are about to hear nourish us today in the ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, amen. You can be seated. So as we get into this this morning, I wanna pose a question, something that, man, it's just kind of a theme uh, as we journey through all that 2020 has brought, uh, where we're currently at, what we anticipate in the rest of the year, just praying, you know, like, okay, well, when it's clicks over into 2021 is like everything back to normal. Like we have no idea what to expect or, or that, but there is a call in the midst of it that the Lord is inviting us to trust him in new ways. And even in this, there's a call for us to be a joyful people. Now that raises a question. I'll put this before you this morning. Like how's your joy? 
Like as you think about this past few months, what's running through your mind? What's running through your heart? Has it been easy to obey the words that Paul writes to a church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter five? Paul says these words, all right? Uh, he says, rejoice always. And there's no asterisk. It's not like rejoice always except if there's a global pandemic, all right? It's just like rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we come back to that question, well, how's your joy? How do we wrestle with this? So we hear those words, we hear that sort of command of like, all right, rejoice always, regardless of circumstances, continue to pray, continue to give thanks. But can I be honest? Like, here's how I would answer the question, how's my joy? Like, it's been hard. Like, it's been pretty difficult over these past few months. And I don't think what the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians is talking about is this like, well, just ignore everything that's going on. There's real pain, there's real sorrow. What we have partly in this psalm, although there's a call to joy and there's some beautiful things, there's a bit of a communal lament that is happening and the Lord invites us into those spaces. That's one of the things I'm so thankful for the scriptures, in particular the psalms, and even in particular these psalms that are found in Psalm 120 through 134. There's an invitation to just cry out. So let me encourage you in this. As we journey through this text, as you think through that question, how's your joy? Like, I hope what the Lord does through the Spirit is that he restores joy in us, that he reminds us of all that he's done, but also you can bring before the Lord this morning, wherever you are, here in person, watching online, watching a replay of this later on, whenever it is that you happen to be hearing these words, the Lord's not surprised by how you're feeling. He's inviting you to just lay it before him. He knows it already. So what is preventing us from honestly answering that question? How, how's your joy? God is big enough to handle our laments, our crying out. Maybe another way to kind of frame this question. All right, and I'll read a quote that ties to the, this question here in a moment. But um, are you growing younger or older? All right, and on the one hand, you're like, well, obviously I'm growing older and the pandemic is only maybe like ratcheted that up. Maybe, you know, you're like, uh, you feel like you've aged like a whole decade in the last six or seven months. But this particular question is rooted in a quote from G.K. Chesterton that I've always loved and yet have always found incredibly convicting because he begins to talk about a childlike faith and even talks about us, made in the image of God, in God himself, he makes this statement, appears to be getting younger while we're getting older. Here's, here's what he means by this, all right? Here's the quote. He says, and think this is tied to joy. He says, because children have abounding vitality, all right? So kids that are here this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Noise and everything. Like you've got abounding vitality, all right? So you can teach us. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, right? So parents, or you ever babysat a kid, or you've got nieces or nephews, whatever that looks like for you, right? They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. Yes, parents, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. We're not strong enough for it. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and the sun comes up. And every evening, do it again to the moon, and the moon appears. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. 
It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and have grown old, and our father is younger than we. There's this really interesting invitation there, isn't there, of joy. Like, what would it look like to recapture joy? And I don't mean just when things go back to, quote, normal. Well, we're no, there's no guarantee of what it's going to look like going forward. How can we as a people have joy? How can we have this childlike faith and this wonder? How can we actually take time here, even right here in the moment, to pause and to say, Lord, like, look what you've done. Do it again. And we get to just exult over and over again in the repeated graces of God. Here's the thing. The fact that you're here this morning is God's grace. The fact that you just took a breath this, right now like, is God's grace. The fact that you're actually able to understand words that are being spoken and process all of that, that's a gift. Now, sometimes amidst all the circumstances of life, we can lose sight of that. I can so easily lose sight of that. And the Lord is inviting us into more joy. Now, here's the interesting thing. We'll start by looking at verse four, the first, the first part of it. There is this request that the psalmist is making, all right? And he says in Psalm 126, verse four, the first part, restore our fortunes, O Lord. So let's just start here. I love the honesty of the psalmist, and you got to picture this is a group of people singing this song, and they're going to talk about in the first three verses all the amazing things that God has done, and yet, right here in the middle, there's kind of this pivotal moment, and they're like, Lord, restore our fortunes. Now, this is not some health, wealth, and prosperity nonsense that they're asking for. What they're asking for is to enjoy the presence of God, to enjoy the peace that only God can bring. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Something is going on in the psalmist. Something's going on in God's people. And so, again, be encouraged in this. You've got stuff you've brought in here. You've got things that you've shared with other people, all right? And you've got things that you've been too fearful to share, or you've even got things you're not even fully aware that's going on. You just know you're running kind of ramped up right now. Like there's this kind of anxiety that's present just below the, the surface, and there's these things that are happening, and you don't even know how to explain it or give language to it, but you're just like, Dude, something is off. I think that's where the psalmist is. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Now look, we've seen this throughout all of these psalms. The question or the solution to this, each time the psalmist faces something, notice what they do. They cry out to God. There is not this, all right, we feel a little off. I gotta fix this. I've gotta solve this. I gotta Google for some answers. I gotta go do this on my own. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. I love the way Eugene Peterson in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, talks about this, and he talks about the reality that the Lord is the one who provides joy. So don't hear in this question, here's what I would hate if you left today and felt like, oh man, I gotta do more to get joyful. If I'm gonna be a good Christian, a good follower of Jesus, I gotta be joyful. And maybe you've been around people that regardless of circumstances, they seem to always have joy. Now there can, that can be a beautiful thing, but sometimes you're like, come on, for real? Like, that just seems fake. Like, they don't feel any sort of freedom to just be honest. The scriptures invite us into honesty, and joy at the end of the day is not something for us to go and earn or try and conjure up. It's from the Lord. And so we can ask the Lord, as the psalmist is doing, restore it, restore our fortune, restore our joy. Peterson says it this way, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence it is not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. We come to God and to the revelation of God's ways because none of us have it within ourselves, perhaps except momentarily to be joyous. 
Joy is a product of abundance. It is the overflow of vitality. It is life working together harmoniously. It is exuberance. Inadequate sinners as we are, none of us can manage that for very long. I relate to that. Imagine you do as well. Maybe even early on and like the pandemic hits and there's some like, oh, this is different rhythms, different that. And like, you can be like, oh, there's some joy. But man, it doesn't take very long for us to stop exulting in monotony. It's like day after day that goes by, the difficulty, the challenges. All right. Now we don't know the particulars of the psalmist, like what exactly was happening in his life. And I don't pretend to know the particulars of your life. I know some general things that we're all dealing with, but you've got hurt and pain and things that you've brought in this morning. And you can make that request. So even now, in the quietness, like where you're sitting, I mean, to just be asking, like, Holy Spirit, like, restore my joy. Bring me what you have for me. And now let's start back at the beginning of the psalm. What you have here then is as the psalmist makes this particular request, it's bookended on the one by looking back, joy is remembered, and then also looking ahead. It's sort of framed as if we're gonna be a joyful people, let's look back and then let's also look to the future. And that's where he goes in verses four to six. But before we get there, let's look at one to three again. And so when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouths were filled with laughter. So just picture, this is an exuberant picture, right? Like we were like those who dream. It's this moment of like, I can't believe this is happening. All right. So you think back and sometimes of your life where you're like, this is amazing. Maybe it's a trip you got to go on. Maybe it's a relationship with somebody. Maybe it's just some experience that, that you've had. It's what we sing about in hymns too, about like that out and amazing grace, like that hour I first believed. Maybe you think back, like, look what God did in your life, how he rescued you, all of that. It's like, this is unbelievable. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy, like they're not containing it. They're not just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm joyful. Like it's pouring out, so it's loud, it's exuberant. And then they said among the nations, it's creating talk amongst the other nations, all right? They're like, wow, the Lord has done great things for them. How amazing would it be if our surrounding communities, amidst all the pain and the hardship, they looked at us as the people of God, as the church, and said, those people are honest about problems, they're honest about difficulty, and yet they're responding with a joy, with an exuberance. Man, the Lord must be doing something. Even if they don't fully believe what you might believe, what I believe, they're taking notice. That's what's happening here. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. The people reflect on that, like, that is true, and we are glad. Now, if we're going to understand what they're actually remembering, we have to go a little bit further. In fact, if you just kept, you know, if you had a Bible out and you're turning to the right, and you would get to Psalm 137. Here's a few verses from Psalm 137. This helps set the context for what's happening here. Like, why are the people responding with this joy? Psalm 137 says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung our lyres, or some translations, we hung our harps. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth sang, sing us one of the songs of Zion. What's happening here? The reason there's such joy, like there's this, the call, like as the psalmist makes the request, he's thinking back and the people are singing this, they're remembering that the Lord repeatedly through their history has brought them out of captivity, has brought them from darkness into light, 
most commentaries, commentaries, many scholars believe this psalm and what's happening here in the first three verses is a look back after the people were taken, they were captured, they were taken off as captives, they're exiles in Babylon. That's now they're remembering like the Lord has brought us. I mean, think about this for a moment. Psalm 137 is basically saying, it's a picture of defeat, isn't it? I can't go on. They're just sitting down. They're by the river. This is like a bad country song here, right? I mean, this is what's happening in this moment. They're hanging in their harps. And what is surrounding them is a group of people that are mocking them. They're like, hey, go ahead and sing, sing that song. Sing that song about God, about Yahweh. And as that would happen, all right, like if they were gonna conjure that up, the people around them would be mocking them because clearly the God of the Babylonians reigns because, reigns because look what happened. The people are there, they're just defeated. We don't have time for it right now, but go read a section of scripture like Lamentations 4. Here's how dark it got. That recalls the Babylonian captivity and we can read that or hear that and just sort of be like, well, yeah, it's just what happened. There was a wrath that was poured out to the point it speaks of infants who are unable to actually nurse, they're unable to actually sustain life. And it got so bad that not only were the infants struggling to stay alive, but the people themselves were so hungry, so much starvation, so much lack of food that mothers were boiling their own children in order to survive. Like if it goes cannibalism, we know we're in a dark, dark place. And it's in this context now No wonder there's like, it's like we were dreaming. Can you imagine that being your story, that all of this had happened and now you got to actually go back to your homeland? You got to go back to Zion? You got to go back gathering with God's people? Even if it was a shell of what it once was before? So that's why they're saying things like when the Lord restored the fortune of Zion. We were like, Zion, we were like those who dream. They never thought that they would get out. They endured horrific things. They'd seen their relatives, their family members killed. If they had survived, they wouldn't have necessarily even felt themselves very fortunate. Many would have been like, I wish I had passed away with the others because this is a hard life. But now they've been restored. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. I mean, you can see why they'd be so exuberant, why they would say the Lord has done great things for us. And the only response is, we are glad. And so when you and I get to this spot, one of the things that's helpful when joy becomes a struggle, and it is a struggle, and this isn't just like, oh, someday off in the future, maybe if you struggle with joy, like I think there's a battle for it every single day. And maybe you're wired differently. Maybe you've just got this eternal optimism. I'm just saying for me, it feels like more of a battle every day. And it's helpful. It's why we got to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. It's why we got to remember, and that's what the psalmist is doing. He's remembering God's faithfulness. Maybe a way to put it before you is this. Rejoicing is rooted in actual objective reality. When he speaks the first three verses here, when they remember, this historically happened. All these horrific things, and then God delivered them. That's been the story of God's people down through the ages. And if you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus, guess what? 
This objective reality has taken place. You were dead and you've been made alive. You were in darkness and now you're children of light. You were disconnected, you didn't belong, you weren't, you were separated from God and now you're his son or his daughter. You were once one that didn't have any sort of inheritance and now you have an inheritance that's being guarded by Jesus Christ himself until he comes back one day to set everything right. You were full of sorrow and now God is wiping away your tears. Like tears, that's the story that we're part of. And so one of the ways we do battle for joy is to remember. And that's what the psalmist is doing. The Apostle Paul speaks of this. There's this great section of scripture. And a lot of times I think we're familiar with one particular verse. Romans 8, 28 is an amazing verse. Maybe you know it, maybe you've committed it to memory. And, and here it is, I'll put it up on the screen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now it's an amazing promise. It's also super important what follows that. There's, theologians have called this like this unbreakable chain. Here's the objective reality right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're sitting here, you're watching online, wherever you happen to be, if your story is a follower of Christ, that doesn't mean you always feel super joyful or happy, but if you know like you've been rescued, here's what historically has taken place. Look how Paul continues this, look how these, Phrases and these words build one upon the another. So it's true, God works all things together for good. For what? For a particular group of people. And if you're a follower of him, this describes your life and my life. For those whom he foreknew. This means he set his covenantal affection before time began. He looked out and he's like, I'm gonna choose these particular people. Then he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he sets his covenantal affection, he, pre, he predestines, he chooses, he says, I'm gonna mature you, I'm going to grow you, all right, to, into the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, guess what? He also called. God's like, you're my people, I'm gonna call you. And if you're like, okay, well then, I, but I have the faith, right? That's on me, go read Ephesians 2. And you'll see, oh, but even faith itself is a gift that the Lord has given. Do you see who the active agent is in all of this? It's not you and it's not me. And this isn't a group of verses that make a bunch of like angry Calvinists happy, all right, because that probably can't happen. What actually this is communicating is meant to give us just this joy, like, Lord, how amazing that this is true. This is what you didn't, I didn't deserve any of this. And he says, those he called, those whom he called, he also justified that God has declared you are right with God. Well, how in the world can that be? Well, there was one that was completely just, there was one who was completely righteous, and that was Jesus, and he died the death that you and I deserve, right? So first he lived the life we were called to, then he dies the death in our place, takes the wrath of God, all of that. And God declares us righteous or justified, and then Paul continues in this unbreakable chain, and those whom he justified, guess what? He also glorified. So that means right now, the brokenness, the pain, the sorrow, the anguish, the physical brokenness and frailty, the emotional, the psychological, the relational, the social, all of it, he's gonna redeem it all. The storyline of the scriptures is God coming to dwell with us forever. So all of these things, if you're here as a follower of Jesus, guess what? These have all objectively happened. Rejoicing is rooted in objective reality. And I need to go back to this again and again and again. 
And now, that's the look to the past. Now, look with me again at verses four to six. And what we have here is the psalmist, again, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. What he's doing here is now saying, okay, we've looked to the past, but I also want to look to the future. And I just made reference to it there at the end, that Romans 8 section there at the end of verse 30, that God is going to do his work of glorification. He's going to redeem all things. And so there's some really interesting imagery here, all right? Now, maybe you walk around and you're like, oh, the Negev, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly familiar with that. But maybe you're not, all right? So let me give you a picture. This is, would be just outside. This would be the southern part of Israel, and it would look something like this. And so you see it up there on the screen. Hopefully you've seen that online. It's in this context that the psalmist is crying out, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, if you look at that and you're like, the psalmist, must, something's off because I don't see any streams, right? So what is he talking about? Because I think we get the desert part. Hasn't 2020 felt a bit like that? It's like, man, nothing seems to be flourishing, all right? It's just dry and it's barren. Well, here's the image. In that particular part of the world, that particular space, that topography, that geography, that location, looks like that most of the time. But there are these moments, and it happens like that in a flash. There'll be rains that hit, and the streams actually begin to flow down the hills, and all of these dried, cracked riverbeds is really what we were looking at that in the picture, suddenly fill with water, and there's this torrent, there's this rush of water, and what happens almost overnight is all this stuff starts to blossom and to come up, and what was this dry, wasted, barren spot, all right, suddenly is teeming with life, and there's, there's greens, there's flowers, and there's all this stuff that's happening, and it happens like that. And so the psalmist is like, Lord, man, I feel worn out, I feel dry, everything, like the scorched earth, like that's my life right now, right? Like that's what I'm just like letting everybody know that I talk to or on social media, I'm just like, my life is just like scorched earth. And maybe you're like, oh, I'm not quite that dramatic, but like you still feel it, right? And we long for, and here's the thing, God can instantaneously change things. Maybe that's your story. Maybe there's something that happened. Maybe there was an addiction that you had. Maybe there was a relationship that was so busted and broken and it just seeming like overnight, like God did this work. Praise God for that. He's able to do it. This is what the Apostle Paul speaks about in this resurrection passage that's 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but shall all be changed. And here's how he describes it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So what's he describing? The Lord's power to change things in an instant. And so we can pray for that and we can ask for that and let's continue to do that. But I love that verses five to six are included in this as well. If it was just four, I'd feel a little bit more depressed walking out of here. Because I'm like, all right, Lord, we've been praying, we've been asking, and what if it still feels like a barren sort of wasteland? What if it's not happening as quickly as you and I would like it to? Well, verses five to six speak perfectly of this because it talks about harvest, and it talks about sowing seed, and it talks about a promise that's embedded in these verses. Here are the words there of Psalm 126, five to six. Those who sow in tears 
shall reap with what? Shouts of joy. There's a promise there. It's not just remembering in the past, like we looked at in verses one to three, like where there were shouts of joy. Right now, we're gonna go out, we're gonna sow in tears, and we shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall what? Shall come home, and there it is again, with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, bringing the harvest with him. Now that's the promise. What I find so fascinating here is the language here. Most people believe, most scholars, that the language is like you're going out sowing the seed, and the seed in some ways is even just the tears that we're crying. Or if, if at another way to view it is this, you're sowing the seed and there's nothing to water the ground except the tears that are flowing down and hitting the earth, and that the Lord will use to bring forth life. There's a promise here of renewal and of restoration of ultimately this picture of resurrection. Like, let me ask you, like, yes, we can cry out and we can ask God to do things in an instant, but are we also patiently believing the promise that in God's timing, when he sees fit in a way that will get him the most glory and bring you and I the most joy, he's gonna bring about a harvest in his time. And what it's gonna look like right now is us making our request before the Lord, absolutely yes and amen to that, but then also, let's cry our tears. Let's bring our hardship. If you're like, well, I'm not much of a crier. You, I'm, you got feelings, all right? Like, bring the emotion, bring the, the anger, the frustration, the anxiety, bring it all, and watch what the Lord is gonna do with that. The picture here is the Lord using our weakness, using our tears, using our sadness to bring about life. He's not using your strength and my strength. If I think that joy comes when I just get this all right on my own, that just puts me into like this spiral of melancholy, right? This is saying all you can bring is your weakness, your ineptness. I can't, I can't just out of thin air, fashion joy. But the Lord asks you to bring that. And so, church, I want to ask us for a few minutes to consider this. Do you and I believe the promises here? Do you believe that God is doing something with your tears? Do you believe that he's going to bring renewal? Do you believe that he's going to bring resurrection? Do you believe that he's going to bring new life? And not out of your strength, but out of your weakness. Now, to wrestle with this, to acknowledge this, to say, Lord, yeah, like, this is how you work, and to acknowledge our tears, and to acknowledge our pain, and to acknowledge our hardship, it puts us in a bit of a vulnerable spot, does it not? You're kind of laid bare. And that's what the Lord is offering to us, just like, hey, just bring that. I'll take care of the renewal. I'll take care of the resurrection. I'll take care of the new life. The harvest is not up to you. Quit shouldering that. You were never meant to bear that. That's not your job. That's not on your job description. Your job description, cry and I'll do something. That's it. You cry out, you do that. Now, we do that. The risky part though feels like, okay, I'm in this completely dependent spot, which I've always been in, but I'm now starting to recognize, all right, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting that the Lord is going to do something here. Do you and I believe that God is doing something with our tears?
I wanna be honest with you. I think there's this line to walk, even as somebody when you're up on a stage and, and you're talking to a, to a group of people of like walking this line of like, hey, you don't wanna make it all about you and yet at the same time, lest you think for a moment that somehow like anyone who's ever up here, including myself right now, the headset mic does not mean that guy's got it all together, right? They only issue the Britney Spears mic to people who've got everything together. There's no problem with joy. There's no difficulties. Like, no, no, no. Fellow sojourner, fellow one crying out. And so this invitation here, like, do you acknowledge the pain? Do you acknowledge the, the hardship? I've had conversations recently with our elders and with, with our staff and just saying, hey, I think I gotta pay attention to this more. Like one of the things that I've shared with, with them, and it's not because there's been anything monumental, maybe you can relate to this. I know some of you feel like, man, I'm just like bleeding out and there's been this moment of like, like you can trace it back, like there's this traumatic thing that has happened. I don't look at it, my story of 2020 that way or even things before that. But the phrase that kept coming to mind for me, maybe you can relate to this, it's sort of a death by paper cuts. It's just one little thing after another, and it can cause this sort of slow bleeding out. Can you relate to that? That there are these moments, and sometimes there's big monumental things, but I was starting to just reflect, and I was asking myself the question, like, how's my joy? And if I'm perfectly honest, like, no, it's a struggle for it. And this existed, I think, even a bit pre-pandemic, and so one of the things I'm trying to do is like, pay attention to that. Get some guided spiritual mentorship. One of the things I've done over the past few weeks that have been remarkably helpful is like go meet with a counselor and just talk and sort of process these things. Now, I don't know what the Lord is gonna invite you to do, but I do know this. We're supposed to bring our tears, our hardship, and let the Lord bring resurrection. That the Lord wants to heal. The Lord wants us to be this joyful people, and he's gonna grant the joy. What we bring him right now is, Lord, I don't got it. I've got sorrow and I've got pain and there's hardship and there's the difficulties of life. And the reality is if we all sat down and could have a conversation, every single one of us here in this room, watching online, every person in every place over every time period has had pain and loss and difficulty. And sometimes it feels like these monumental and sometimes it's just death by paper cuts. It's a slow bleeding out and the joy begins to dissipate bit by bit by bit. Are we paying attention to those things? Because here's the good news. The way God's story works, the way this always works, it's always a story of dying and rising again. This is why Jesus would say these words. This picks up the theme of the psalmist here, John 12. And Jesus answered them, the hour, and when he talks about the hour, that's a significant loaded phrase, words there in the Gospel of John. The hour is the hour of his death. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, think about this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, guess what happens? It bears much fruit. The psalmist is saying, shed your tears, sow the seed, let the, let the seed be watered with your tears. Like something has to die and the Lord is going to bring new life. I found myself over the past probably couple of years even, like you go and look through like my Amazon book list and things that I've ordered, lots of stuff about the church and renewal and all of that and yes and amen to that. But also I feel like the Lord has been like, hey, 
And he's kind in this, but he's like, hey, dum-dum, listen, you could talk about church renewal, you could talk about that, but how about your own spiritual renewal? What about your own personal renewal? Not in this narcissistic sort of way, but in a like, oh, what is the Lord wanting to do? I feel like he continually in his grace is inviting me into that because the way the Lord works is there's a death and there's a rising again. What was Jesus speaking about? He was speaking about his death, the hour, and then him conquering Satan's sin and death, him bringing about our ultimate glorification. How? Through the resurrection. That is the way of Jesus. So if you find yourself struggling to find joy, if you find yourself feeling like, man, this feels more like a death and a dying, guess what? You might just be on the path, more than likely you are on the path of how God works. I'll close, I wanna put one quote before you before I invite us to communion. Paul Miller wrote a really helpful book called The J-Curve. And the J, you kind of think about it, it goes down and then it rises again. And it's a way, it's a shorthand way for us to think about the Jesus curve, to think about Jesus's life. And so he writes this, he says, my goal is to draw you, as as he writes to us as the readers, into the dying and rising of Jesus, to reset our sense of the normal Christian life, freeing you from cynicism and despair. Inhabiting the J curve promises to transform your entire vision of how you engage life, freeing you from the world of resentment touchiness and just plain old grumpiness and inviting you into Jesus's world, a world rich with joy, hope, and love. We bring our tears, we bring our pain, and we watch what the Lord is going to do. And so church, we have an opportunity right now to respond by enjoying a meal together, to enjoy this communion meal. So whether you're here in person, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to this. If you're watching online right now, I would invite you to go get elements as we participate in communion. So here's what we're, what we're going to do. So the worship team comes up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us in a moment. And while we sing the next song, when you're ready, just come up and grab one of the elements. There are now some gluten-free options. They're on the, the outside of the, the trays as well. And just take that back to your seat. Stay standing. If you wanna sit and pray, whatever you wanna do, but we're gonna sing the song together. And then I'll come back up and invite us. If you're at home, you can go get some elements together and I'll give us instruction. And so as you think about this, this meal that we're invited into, I wanna read one quote. It's from an old college professor of mine. Um, I was just gonna say college professor, but I'm like, man, he was old when I was there. And I was there a long time ago because I'm old now, all right? And so this old college professor, and he speaks about this psalm and about communion. And he says this, When we gather around the communion table, for example, we are usually somber, and so we should be, but with a somberness clad in joy. So what if we gathered around the Lord's table and burst into a gale of laughter? Would it be disrespectful? I don't think so, as long as it is the laughter of heaven, laughter that symbolizes the joy that Jesus knew in doing his Father's will, the joy that our sins are forgiven and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, the joy that he is coming again. At the Lord's table, the tears ought to flow because of what we have done to Christ, but joy ought to bubble up in our souls because of what Christ has done for us. It's that latter reason that provokes the laughter of heaven. 
If we could hear the music of the spheres, it would not be a sinister laughter, not a get-even laughter, not an I gotcha at last laughter, but the laughter of love, the laughter that exiles had as they made their way back home, the laughter that comes from the knowledge of sins forgiven, of the world made right with God, of a universe that declares the glory of God, of light that shines in the darkness, and that darkness cannot overcome. That's what we're gonna celebrate. So if you're a follower of Christ, after I pray, I invite you to come up, take the elements, and we'll, we'll continue in our service. I'll invite us back in a moment to partake together. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness, for your joy, for the joy that you provide for us by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the sinless life that you live, for the death that you died for the resurrection that occurred, that you were like that seed that was put down into the earth and it died. And because it died, new life could burst forth. And I thank you now that that is our story and that this meal that you've given to us is a reminder that we are part of a resurrection story, a renewal story, a restoration story. And so help us cling to those promises. Lord, may we remember what you have done for us in the past. May we remember what you're going to do for us in the future. And may that infuse our present with a stability and a joy. And it's not just getting through, but an actual, the life, the abundant life that you've called us to. We know there's an enemy who is hell-bent on to steal, kill, and destroy, to rob us of joy. And Jesus, we thank, that, thank you that you came to restore us to relationship with you, to bring life, to bring renewal, and that you bring resurrection. As we sow in tears, you bring new life. So God, I pray as we participate in this meal, as we sing songs together, God, I pray that you would get your glory. And we as your people, I pray we would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.